0: I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Colossians 2 and Colossians 3. We're going to look at the theme this morning uh, position and priorities. Position and priorities. Meaning, of course, the position that we have with God in and through Christ, and then the priorities, the lifestyle that is to grow out of that. Position and priorities. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word, please? We'll begin reading in verse 16 of uh, chapter 2 and we'll read down through verse 17 of chapter 3. Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath. These are a shadow, underscore this phrase, these are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander... And obscene talk from your mouth do not lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave free but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, we want to thank you today for the redemption that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we know that Before we came to Christ, there were many religious practices that maybe we did to try to justify ourselves in your sight. And Lord, as we read here, those things make us feel good, but have no value whatsoever in redemption. Lord, it is in Christ that we have all that we need. And so help us to seek him and live for him and allow his life to be lived through us. Lord, I pray for that one here today who does not know Christ. Lord, they've been seeking something in their lives and that's apparent by the fact that they're here today. God, I pray that you would use this message for your purposes. Lord for those who have made that decision to follow Christ Every day may we abide in him That we can bear fruit and be a witness to others For it's in Jesus name that we pray Amen About two and a half years ago I told you the story I think it's a story by the way for our purposes this morning That bears repeating It's a story about a lady that was discovered down in the state of Florida. They called her, her neighbors called her Garbage Mary. You see, Garbage Mary was a bag lady. She carried her bag around. She appeared to live on the streets. She appeared to be destitute, living out of garbage cans and and other people's trash. And she pushed her buggy and she carried her bag. and, And everybody just assumed maybe on top of poverty there was some mental illness. They called her garbage Mary. Well, one day in particular, the authorities picked up Garbage Mary and they carried her to a local psychiatric hospital for an evaluation. And the authorities, upon finding out that she actually had a physical address, they went to her home and as they got inside of her home to get some of her belongings to carry back to the hospital, they were amazed at what they found. There were piles of cash everywhere. There were all kinds of bank deposits and banking accounts and stock reports. And real estate holdings. Altogether, it was believed that Garbage Mary was probably worth millions and millions of dollars. And here she was living as a bag lady. Sad Folks many believers are like garbage Mary They are rich in Christ And yet they are living like beggars Now today we're going to see how rich in Christ we really are And we're going to see our new position in Christ But then we need to see what flows out of that position that we have in Christ What difference in our lives should our new position in Christ make What are the lifestyles, what are the priorities, what are the ambitions that ought to flow out of our lives Now that we are reconciled to God through Christ and we're rich in Him. That's what we're going to look at. But before we get into these great truths uh, that we're going to see in in chapter 3, Paul states in chapter 2, one more time, he takes the opportunity to talk about some things that are very dangerous to the gospel. Things that will get us off course. He talks about certain things that are enemies of the gospel that we've got to constantly be on guard against. Let's look at those. First of all, I want you to see with me today a problem to recognize, a problem to recognize. He begins saying in verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions to food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He goes on there to talk about those who are seeking after angels and different visions. And those that are continuing to go through different religious rituals. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He said these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We need to recognize these things, these problems that can take our eyes off of Christ. Now in addition to an early Gnosticism, and I've talked a little bit about that, the Greek philosophy known as Gnosticism, but in addition to Gnosticism making up what was known as the Colossian heresy, it's also believed that an extreme form of... Jewish legalism was involved in the Colossian heresy. And so it was this combination between Greek philosophy and legalism. And in this passage we look at today in chapter 2, more of the emphasis is on Jewish legalism. And Paul is condemning that. Folks, we need to understand the Judaism that Jesus faced in the first century world was went way beyond anything that the Old Testament taught. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law in itself is good. The law ought to drive us to grace. God's law should point out our need of a savior and drive us to the foot of the cross. But but the first century Judaism that Jesus confronted uh, went far beyond anything that the law ever taught. And the religious leaders would add all these writings, all of these traditions to the Old Testament law. And they would elevate these writings and these traditions uh, to an equal standing with Scripture. Sometimes they put more emphasis on their traditions than they did on the Scripture. Jesus said, you set aside the Word of God for the sake of your traditions. Well, Paul faced the very same thing. As he went around to churches in the first century world, he dealt with, with uh, people who were being confronted by these same legalists. I think most prominently perhaps he faced them among the Galatian churches. They were referred to as Judaizers. They said in addition to faith in Jesus Christ you need circumcision and observance of the Old Testament law in order to be saved. It was a Jesus plus something else salvation. Jesus was not sufficient for them. Paul called them enemies of the cross and said that the gospel that they preached was really no gospel at all and those who came preaching a gospel that is no gospel at all need to be considered anathema, condemned. Here are people at Colossae saying you need to observe these holy days and festivals and and you need to eat only this or you need to drink only this and on and on it went. Again they were were going beyond even anything the Old Testament had ever taught. And uh, Paul says to them do you not understand these things are only shadows. The Old Testament contained things that were shadows of Christ. Once Christ came, you don't embrace the shadows any longer because you have the reality that the shadows pointed to. Just read the book of Hebrews. Those shadows are obsolete. God is not dealing with humanity any longer on the basis of those shadows. Because Christ has fulfilled all of the demands of the law. Now folks, unless you think this right here is a discussion that has no application any longer to 2017... Hopefully I can help you to think a little differently about that this morning. Now the whole reason I'm going to mention what what I'm about to mention is because this is so critical to the gospel. It is not a minor sidebar issue. It is foundational to the proper understanding of the gospel. And I'm not trying to be overly critical. But this is life and death stuff. Plus, I'm wanting you to see what Paul is writing about here is not locked away into the ancient world with no relevance to us today. It has all kinds of relevance to us today. A couple of weeks ago, somebody mentioned to me about a particular worship service in our area. And they commented on a certain aspect of that worship service. It's a very popular church. In fact, we've got members here who have come to us out of that church. We've got people who have left and gone to that church. Uh, now, it's not a it's not a sister Baptist church, but a very popular church in the area. Well, I clicked online and I listened to what was being said, and I was surprised by the fact that the preacher started preaching baptismal regeneration you say what's baptismal regeneration it says that baptism is necessary for your salvation now Roman Catholicism also is, is known for baptismal regeneration necessary for salvation the phrase they use is uh, Uh, Ex opere operato. It's through the very work, through the very action of being baptized that you're justified in, in the sight of God. Well, folks, we know that baptism is a very important step of obedience, right? It's a testimony of of your union with Christ, being united to his death, burial, and resurrection. But while it is important, and all believers should be baptized if they're physically able to, baptism is not saving. Now, if if it were the purpose of my message this morning to show that, we could go through all kinds of texts dealing with that. To show you it's not necessary for salvation. But this pastor said, it is when you are baptized that God applies salvation to you. He said faith and repentance and confession are also critical ingredients. I'm glad I heard him say that. But he went on to say it is not until you are actually baptized by immersion. It's not until you actually go under the water and are baptized that God actually applies salvation to you. He told the congregation, I was teaching on this Tuesday night in a small group and a young lady said, so pastor, will I not go to heaven? I've trusted Christ but I've never been baptized by immersion. Am I not going to go to heaven? His response was, well ma'am, I'm not going to answer your question.'" I'm only going to get you to think about what the Bible says. I thought, well, here's a pastor, young lady, asking a pretty cr- critical question, what's necessary to go to heaven? And he says, I'm not going to answer your question, just what the Bible say? But then he went on to say, so here's a video of this young lady since last Tuesday being baptized by immersion. What's the implication? It's necessary to be saved. He had even said, when you go under the water, that's when God applies salvation to your case. Folks, there is so much wrong with that. But clearly it's a misunderstanding of both justification as well as baptism. The Bible says that a person is justified by faith in Jesus. Paul says in Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He did not say justified by faith along with baptism. If you're justified by faith, by the time you come around to your baptismal service, you've already been justified. Justification isn't applied at your baptism. It was applied back when you came to faith in Christ. The argument that baptism is necessary for salvation is very similar to the argument... Of Paul's opponents in Galatia who said that circumcision is necessary for salvation. Paul's response was that those who were preaching circumcision are preaching a different gospel. He said that is no gospel at all. And he said all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Galatians 3.10 He speaks very severely to those who would try to add any form of obedience as a requirement for justification. He says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Uh, He also said, let the one who preaches a counterfeit gospel that is no gospel at all, let him be anathema. So, folks, are we talking about some little minor secondary issue of no importance? Absolutely not. Folks, we've got to get the gospel right. The Colossians were being plagued by false teachers trying to add things to the gospel. And Paul points out to them, if you add works to grace, you destroy grace. Again, what I want you to see is this is not something locked away into a discussion of hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Has a modern day context to it. Think about some of the other other, other things you might have grown up with. You might have grown up in a Christian environment that said to be a Christian you need to make sure you do this. And you do that and you don't do this and you don't do that. Some of you grew up in traditions like that. All types of laws in addition to the gospel that were laid down. It was the type of theology that I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do type theology. And you grew up in all of that. You grew up in this kind of legalist, legalistic environment where, where it said you, you've got to add all these other things in addition to your faith in Christ if you're going to be right with God. Now folks, I'm certainly not trying to discount the need to live a holy life. But what I'm saying is we cannot add anything to the gospel. If we add anything to the gospel, we destroy the gospel. And that's what Paul is writing to them about here. He's saying you need need to recognize these problems. And you need to recognize what these folks are doing. They're taking you away from the faith that you had in Christ. Who cut in on you? You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and knocked you off path? Don't submit yourself to all of these religious codes with the thought in mind that these things are going to make you right before God. Paul says if we're going to glory in anything, we're only going to glory in the cross. Amen? So beware of adding anything to the gospel as a means of justification in the sight of God. Second thing he points out to them, we need to understand this new position that we have, a new position to embrace... Indicative statements here, simple statements of fact that describe what has happened as a result of our redemption. He wants us to see that our position has changed. We were once in Adam, the first Adam, and being in Adam, we all die. However, our position in the sight of God has changed. Because of what he's done for us through Christ And so he points out here We've been raised up with Christ When a person becomes a believer God sees them as being joined to the death The burial The resurrection of Jesus Christ You see as I mentioned a moment ago We once were all in Adam And so what that means is that When Adam sinned The whole human race sinned But as we were in Adam So too are are believers in Christ the Puritan Thomas Godwin wrote there are but two men that are seen standing before God Adam and Jesus Christ and these two men have all other men hanging at their girdles as we were in Christ in, in Adam so also are we in Christ the death the burial the resurrection of Christ are applied to the life of the believer when we trust Christ and are justified through faith in Christ God applies everything related to Christ to our personal account Christ becomes your substitute Meaning that when he died, you died. When he rose again, you rose again. Now, of course, for us, the benefit is still future, but God sees it as already done. We've been raised up with Christ. It is as good as done. Christ was raised to be seated at the right hand of God, and he has life. He has life never to die again, and so through him You have eternal life and you enjoy that eternal life even now. The sting of death is gone for the believer, the grave has no victory. Yes the grave will occupy you one day if Jesus tarries the grave will occupy you and it will occupy me. But the grave has no victory over the believer because the Bible says absent from the body present with the Lord. Why? Because when we died with Christ we are also raised with Christ. He goes on to say in verse 3 we've died. You say, did they have my funeral and not invite me? No, but you're dead. And what he means by that is your old man without Christ is dead. Do you remember how you used to live when sin and Satan were your masters? That old man did what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. The old man was governed by the desires of the flesh. What you thought about was what do I want? And that's pretty much how you lived your life. But if you're in Christ, that life is over because you're a new creation in Christ. Your life B.C., before Christ, no longer exists. Now you still have that old flesh nature and we'll talk about the challenge of that later on. But the believer also has a new nature, one that you did not previously have or enjoy. Third statement he says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, you're tucked away for safekeeping, you are preserved, you are hidden from the judgment of unbelievers that is to come one day. One of these days, the unbelief of the world is going to be exposed and judgment will be unleashed. But that is not your destiny because your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so where Christ is, that's where you will be. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And so, when all the sin and all the wretchedness and all the unbelief of the world is exposed, you will be safe because you will be with Christ. Then a fourth statement he says you will be revealed with Christ in glory. At the second coming when Christ is unveiled the word here speaks of an open display. When he is unveiled for all to see we're told in the Bible that two things are going to happen. First the nations are going to weep on account of him. Because everybody's going to see him for who he is the king of kings and lord of lords and it'll be eternally too late for multitudes. They'll weep. But something else is going to happen. There's going to be another unveiling. The saints of God will be with him. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a Shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God And the dead in Christ will rise first Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds To meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord Wherefore comfort one another with these words So in these brief succinct phrases Paul has described our new position Our new status that we have because of Jesus Christ that's our position now what is our response to that to be? If you've been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ You're a new creation in Christ You have a new position You've been raised up with Christ And one of these days you're going to be with Him What difference should that make in your life? Should it make any difference in your life? Or do we simply wait till we get to heaven? No, Paul says it it ought to make all the difference in our lives even now Because of our new position with God, there ought to likewise be some new priorities. We ought to live differently. And that's what he talks about thirdly here. He talks about new priorities to live out beginning uh, here in verse 5 and following of chapter 3. He says, put to death therefore what is earthly. In verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And he, and he has some things that he wants us to be unclothed of and things he wants us to be clothed with. Now folks, what's interesting here is in the first four verses when he was talking about our new position in Christ, he was using simple indicative statements and now he changes and begins using imperatives commands. He points out here that we are to have a new ambition. He says we are to keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Like a compass points northward we are to point to Christ. The believer who has died with Christ and been raised up with Christ should be occupied with Jesus and should be occupied with things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We are to live differently than the man in the world. New ambitions. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Jesus spoke about that. He spoke about the ambitions of the people of the world. What are they concerned about? They're concerned about what they're going to eat and drink and what they're going to put on. In other words, they're concerned about material things. And Jesus said, you don't need to be anxious about those material things because if God gave you your life, which is the greater thing, he's going to give you the necessities of your life, which is the lesser thing. If he gave us the greater, we can count on him to give us the lesser. And so Jesus said, exactly what Paul is saying here, there ought to be a new ambition to your life. You ought to be seeking those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That ought to be the passion of the believer's life Living daily out of of an attitude of thanksgiving For what God has done for us in Christ A whole new ambition to my life Things that were once important to me Are not important anymore Things that used to not be important are now important. And Paul says that's how we're supposed to live as believers, a new ambition. Not only a new ambition, but also we're to have a new concentration. He says that we are to set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth there in verse 2. The Christian mind is to dwell on higher things. J.B. Lightfoot said of this, you must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. How do we do this? It begins with being in the Word of God. You and I need to make a conscious choice to daily be in God's Word. We get to know God through His Word. Folks, God has chosen to reveal Himself through His Word. Where people don't have a Bible or where they reject the Bible, they end up making a God of their own choosing and their own imagination. Just read Romans 1. They end up in idolatry. But God has chosen to reveal His nature and His work to us through the pages of Scripture. If I'm to know the God of the Bible, then I need to read about Him in the Bible. How has he dealt with his people in the past? What has he done in their lives? What, do you, what has he asked of them? I can't even be an effective prayer warrior unless I get to know the God of the Bible. What am I to pray about? How am I to pray? Because you see in Bible reading it is God speaking to us. Prayer is we are speaking to God. If I'm going to speak to God effectively then I've got to first of all allow him to speak to me. As we're in his word, we begin seeing more and more what is important to God. We learn more and more what is pleasing to him. And that means that our whole concentration changes. Our whole focus changes. So as a priority in your life, you're to have a new ambition and a new concentration seeking the things that are above by the way it's present tense you're to keep on doing this daily in your life seeking the things that are above focused on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and then thirdly we see here that we are to live with a new wardrobe there are things we're to put off the dirty clothes belonging to the flesh so to speak we're to put off and we're to be clothed with new clothing Look at verse 5. He says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire... Covetousness, Which is idolatry On account of these things The wrath of God is coming In these you too once walked When you were living in them But now you must put them all away Anger, wrath, malice, slander And obscene talk from your mouth Do not lie to one another Seeing that you put off the old self With its practices And it put on the new self We're to pay attention to our lifestyle And he describes lifestyle here with the analogy of clothing. That's what he's talking about. Now folks, think about it. You go through the day, it's nighttime. You go through the day, what do you do with the old set of clothes that are dirty and soiled? You take them off, right? What do you do the next morning? You get up and you put on new clothes. And Paul's using that as an analogy of what the believer is to do. You see, folks, we have a new position that's in Christ, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing required of you and me when it comes to our Christian life. When it comes to our Christian life, you and I have to lay ourselves before God as that living sacrifice, and we've got to be engaged in those spiritual disciplines That are gonna help us to draw closer to Jesus Christ. Put off the old clothing. There's this old man that you've still gotta wrestle with, the old nature. The unbeliever, that's the only nature he's got. The old nature that is hostile to God and the things of God. The believer has the new nature. He's still got the old nature, but he's got the new nature too. Paul describes that battle in Romans chapter 7. When he's talking about the flesh, the old nature, and the new desires, and that battle that he has. And he gives the answer to the victory there in, in chapter 8. The victory comes When we live by the Spirit. But he says you've got to take off immorality and impurity and passion, sins of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, the world and even the Supreme Court can say whatever they want to say about sexual sin, and they can say that any lifestyle is okay. But the Bible says it is on account of these things that the wrath of God is coming. And so he says, as believers, these things you've got to lay aside. This is the immorality. And then he talks about evil desires and greed, sins of the heart. That you've got to lay aside. Then he talks about anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech. Sins of the mind, the attitude and the tongue. We've got to lay those things aside. Paul's not trying to give a laundry list of everything. But he's giving a representative list of the sins of the mind, the tongue, the heart, the life. He's given a representative list of how the lost man in the world lives. These are the things like an old suit of clothes we've got to take off and lay aside. He says, do not lie. Speak the truth. Now he begins talking about things we've got to put on. We've got to be clothed with God's truth. Lay aside lying, put on truth. A little boy got it wrong one time in Sunday school when his, teacher, when his teacher asked the class what a lie is and he responded by saying a lie is an abomination to the Lord and a very present help in time of trouble. <laughs> one of the evils of the tongue is lying and so you got to lay that aside and put on truth. Remember Jesus said that the devil is a liar and the father of lies and he's been lying from the beginning. But now as God's child you're to love the truth. Then in verse 12 he says we've got to be clothed with with fruitfulness there. He He says compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You can tell he's making a reference here to Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Because many of the things he mentions in Galatians 5 he also mentions right here. And he says, put on forgiveness, verse 13. Do not, to not forgive sets up bitterness inside somebody. Somebody made the comment one time, they said, a bitterness uh, is like drinking poison yourself and then waiting on the other person to die. And that's what happens when we don't forgive. If we don't forgive. The Bible says that we are to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. And then in verse 14 he says, put on love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Then in verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 15, also put on gratitude. Folks, if any group of people on the face of the earth ought to be uh, grateful, it ought to be believers. Back in chapter 1, he said that in Christ, he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of light, to his own beloved son's kingdom, I tell you what, if that doesn't make your heart grateful, nothing will. To know that there was a day that you were alienated from God, your sins were held against you, but through the shed blood of Christ, all of that has been washed away and forgiven, and you've been reconciled to God. If that can't make you thankful, there's nothing in this world that is going to make you thankful. Are you a grateful person? And then in verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. And finally, he sums up by saying, do everything to God's glory. Now, folks, I've had to go through this list quickly. We'll spend more time in it next week. But you you see what he's saying? He's saying these are the priorities that ought to be a part of your life now. You have a new position before God, a new status before God. Your names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. And because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life and you're heaven bound... It ought to be seen daily in your life that you are indeed a new creation in Christ Jesus. You ought to be living differently. If your life could be matched up with the way your life used to be before you became a Christian or your life could be matched up with a man or a woman in the world who doesn't even claim to know Christ, guess what? Your life and my life should look very different. If your Christianity doesn't look different, then there's something wrong with your Christianity. A skeptic, Reinhold Niebuhr, once said, If you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you've got to look a little more redeemed. Right? And that's what Paul's talking about here. How have your priorities changed? How are you living? How are you thinking? How are you talking? How are you treating people? Are you treating people differently? Are you treating people the way Jesus would treat people? Are you loving people? Are you forgiving people? Are you kind? These things ought to be the priorities in your life now. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, Christian, Christian. What hast thou to do with sin? Hath it not cost thee enough already? Burnt child, will thou play with fire? What? When thou hast already been beaten uh, between the jaws of the lion, will thou step a second time into his den? Hast thou not had enough of the old serpent? Did he not poison all thy veins once and wilt thou play upon the hole of the asp and put thine hand upon the den a second time? Be not so mad, so foolish. Did sin ever really yield thee pleasure? Did you truly find solid satisfaction in it? If so, go back. To thine own drudgery. And wear the chain again if it so delights thee. But inasmuch as sin did never give thee what it promised to bestow. But deluded thee with lies. Be not a second time snared by the old fowler. Be free. Don't forget what Christ has done for you. Don't forget that you were bought with a price. And I wonder today if there's somebody that needs to come to Christ, trusting Christ and Christ alone for their redemption. You can't add anything to him. You can't take anything away. You can't add anything. Redemption is in Christ and Christ alone. Is there somebody here this morning that needs to come forward saying, Pastor, I need to be born again. I need Christ. Because I've been thinking this is going to help me and this is going to help. I've got this laundry list of things that I'm counting on that when I get before God one day, this laundry list of things somehow or another going to make a difference. The only thing that's going to make a difference, have you come to Christ and been born again? Perhaps you need to remember the status of those who are truly in Christ. Do your ambitions and affections properly reflect that? Are you taking off the old clothes and putting on the new? Do you look differently than you used to? I hope so. Examine your life. Say, God, anything in my life that is not pleasing to you, bring it to my attention and give me the strength to lay these things aside. Give me the strength to be clothed with Christ that when you see me, it's as though you see your son. Help me to live in a manner pleasing to you. Father, we thank you for this passage that talks so much about sanctification in the Christian life. I do pray for that one this morning who may be adding things to the gospel. They've been counting on other things. Lord, open their eyes that they might see this morning clearly that salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. May they trust Him and Him alone. Lord, for those that have done that, may we examine our lives and ask ourselves honestly before you, are we living in a manner to please you? Is our life different now? Do our friends and family members see that our life is different? If we're still talking with obscenities and we're still living in immorality, And we're still living in anger and slander and hatred and unforgiveness toward others. Lord, maybe that exposes that we've never truly come to know you. Help us to be honest at looking at the direction of our lives. And what message our life is saying to a lost and a dying world. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.